Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Scripture reading this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. But before we hear the reading of God's word, let us first pray and ask for his blessing upon the ministry of his word here this morning. Father, we come before you this morning humbly asking that you would be at work in and through your word by your spirit. Father, your word is that imperishable seed by which we have been born again, and it is the pure spiritual milk by which we grow up in our salvation. Give us a hunger for your word this morning. Give us ears to hear it, minds to understand it. Grow in us a love for it and a desire to bring forth its fruit in our lives and strengthen us to that end. All to the praise of your glorious name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. This is the very word of God. Therefore, lift your drooping hands. And strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled." That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. That is the reading of God's word. Two weeks ago, before Easter, When we first looked at this paragraph, we we focused upon the author's encouragement in verse 12. The, The author says, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. We saw that this encouragement is, is something like the encouragement that so many of us have heard from our, our coaches and teammates throughout the years of our athletic careers. Don't give up, they say. Don't quit. Keep going. These are encouragements that we often need, and they are encouragements that we are used to hearing. And it's the, it's the author's encouragement here. Keep going. Keep running that race that has been set before you. We know that the Hebrews were being tempted to quit because running was becoming increasingly difficult and and there was no relief in sight quite the opposite actually everything suggested that that things were only going to get more difficult the persecution was going to become more severe the 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 trials were going to become more intense to this point we are told they had they had not yet resisted to the point of of shedding their blood but that might be on the horizon But even though they had not yet shed their blood, they had lost property, they had lost prestige, and and some of them had even lost their freedom, being thrown into prison for their faith. They were being persecuted. And they were beginning to wonder 
if it was all worth it. They, they were beginning to, to wonder whether following Jesus was simply too costly. All the trouble and the pain that they were experiencing at his disciples, was it really worth it? Especially when they could see no relief in the foreseeable future. There's a question that I think we have all faced in one form or another. Now, we in the United States do not face the type of persecution that the Hebrews were facing, though there are many today who, who do. There are some who, who face some level of persecution for their faith. There, there are some who, who face trials that are directly related to them being followers of Christ. But even if we do not face persecution for our faith, all of us must still deal with Hardships. We must deal with trials. We must deal with difficulties that come from and are bound up with the fact that we are followers of Jesus. The costs of loving others well and of putting their interests before your own are real. Whether the other be your spouse or your, your child or your coworker, whether it be your, your neighbor or someone on social media, the, the cost of loving others well, the cost of, of counting their interests more important than your own, these are real costs. And they are sometimes high costs. It can make our lives more difficult. It can bring real trouble into our lives when we seek to follow Jesus, when we seek to love as we have been loved by Him. And the high price of following Jesus can make all of us wonder from one time or another whether it is all worth it. All of us have probably been in that place where we, we wondered whether the, the costs of discipleship were simply too high. Maybe you were even there this morning. Maybe even this morning you are feeling exhausted. Maybe even this morning you are worn out by the rigors of the race. Maybe you are even this morning wondering, silently, privately in your heart, but still wondering whether it's really worth it. I would be surprised if there were not at least a few watching this video who are struggling with exactly those questions this morning. Well, if that is where you are, the author has a word of encouragement for you. The, the word that he speaks to the Hebrews is for you. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep going. Strengthen your, your weak knees. Lift your drooping hands. Make your path straight. And these are not merely platitudes. These are, are not merely empty words of Encouragement. I don't have time to re-preach the sermon that I preached two weeks ago, but, but remember that, that all of the author's encouragement is, is tied to what he has just told us about who Jesus is and what it means to, to struggle as his follower. That's, that's the significance of that little word, therefore, that, that points us back to the paragraph previous. He's telling us to, to keep going. Why? Because Jesus ran this race before you. He walked this course all the way to the cross. And he now sits at the right hand of God the Father. He is the author and perfecter of faith. And because he completed the course, we know 
that if we keep going, we will one day sit with him in glory. Keep going. Consider Jesus. And not only consider Jesus, but consider your own suffering. Keep going secondly, because the most that you can lose is your life. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, he says. But that day may be coming. But that is a small price to pay. This mortal life is a small price to pay for the immortality that we are set to receive in his name. The costs are high, no doubt. And they may get higher. In fact, it may end up costing you everything. But what does it really cost a man if he loses the whole world but gains his soul? Yes, the costs are high, but they are well worth it. So keep going because you see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Keep going because you know all they can take from you is your life. And keep going because you know your Father is at work. Your present suffering is not pointless, but purposeful. It is in your good, good Father's loving hands. He is disciplining you, not punishment, not retribution, but but discipline. He is at work in you that you might share in his holiness and reap the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so because Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father, because all that is at risk is this mortal life, and because your Father is at work in you, fitting you for heaven, fitting you to enjoy and glorify him for all eternity, for all of these reasons, the author says to you, keep going. Don't quit. Don't give up. Run with endurance. The race that has been set before you. But what is that race? What is the the course that has been marked out for us? That is the question that I want us to to focus on this morning. We are being encouraged to, to run with endurance a race. And I want us to see the markers that define the course that we must travel. We we see it there in verse 14. The author writes, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So the author's summary of the the race, the the author's definition of the markers which which set the course, his, his sort of encapsulation of the Christian life is that we would live at peace with everyone And in holiness before God. The holiness without which we will not see the Lord. Peace and holiness. This is the Christian life. It's very similar to what Jesus said when he was asked about the the summary of the law. Remember that Jesus was asked which was the, the greatest commandment. And he answered with two commandments. He said the greatest commandment is that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love for God and love for 
neighbor. This is the entire law. All of the commandments hang on these two commandments. If you keep these two commandments, you will have kept all the law. If you keep these two commandments, then you will have walked in a manner pleasing to your Lord. Love for God and love for neighbor. And really, it's exactly the same thing that the author is telling us here. To to live at peace with everyone, to live in shalom with your neighbors, is love for neighbor. And to love God with all your heart is to live a life of holiness. So let's look at these two aspects of the Christian life more closely. First, we have peace with everyone. The fact that this is peace with everyone tells us that that what he's talking about here is an interpersonal peace, a a relational peace. It is a peace between people. There is an internal peace, a a peace that we experience in our heart. It's the the peace that Paul talks about in Philippians. It is that that peace that surpasses all understanding, that, that peace that fills us when we cast our cares and our concerns upon the Lord. When we entrust ourselves to him, we have peace. But that's not the peace that the author is talking about here. He's he's not talking about an internal peace, but he's talking about an external peace, an interrelational peace, a a peace of relationship with your neighbors, peace with others, peace with everyone. And what is that peace? It's it's more than just the absence of of hostility. It's not just that you're not at war with your neighbor. It's not that you're in an open fight with your neighbor. Of course, that is included, but it's more than that. It is is shalom. It is right relationship. You are called to live in right relationship with your neighbors. You're, You're called to live in right relationship with your spouse. Paul tells us that that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That that wives are to respect their their husbands. We are to to be in right relationship with one another. Parents and children are to be in right relationship with one another. Parents are not to exasperate their children, but to bring them up in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. Children are to obey and honor their their parents. And of course, this extends beyond nuclear families. It it extends to, to uncles and brothers and siblings. In all these ways, we are to, to live at peace with one another. You're to live at peace with your friends. You are, are not to to betray them. You are, you are not to slander them. You are to be at peace with your friends. You are to be at peace with your neighbors. Even the ones that are difficult to be at peace with. You are to be at peace with your co-workers. Even in times of great stress. You are to be at peace with governing officials. Even when you don't agree with all of the decisions that they are making. This is the Christian life. We are to to seek shalom. We are to seek right relationship. We are to seek peace with everyone. And the word that he uses is actually strive. We are to strive for this peace. It's a a word that, that connotes hard work. It will be difficult to live at peace. It will be difficult because you will resist it. It is not natural for for you. You will, at times, not want to live at peace. There will be times when you will want to defend your honor. There will be times when you will want to defend your reputation. There will be times when you will want to defend your stuff. The Corinthians faced that. And Paul said to them, why would you rather not be wrong? 
than to drag your brother to court in front of the unbelievers. It's not always easy for us to live at, at peace with our neighbors. It's not always even easy for us to live at peace with our friends. There is in us a, a sinful nature that rebels against peace, that desires to that desires to overrule and to use and to abuse for our own purposes and for our own interests. And that same nature that resides in us resides in our neighbor. And so they resist peace too. Not only do we resist peace, but sometimes they resist peace. They don't want to be at peace with you. Sometimes they simply want to pick a fight. But we must nevertheless strive. We must strive against our own sinful nature and we must strive against the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the attempts of our neighbor to provoke us into a fight. We must strive to live at peace with everyone. That's what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 12. So far as it depends on you. He acknowledges that it won't always be possible. But so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live in right relationship. Live in relationships defined by God's love with everyone. This is the first aspect of the Christian life. But not only are we to live lives of peace, we are also to live lives of holiness. And just as peace equates to, to more than the absence of hostilities, Holiness equates to, to more than just the absence of some sin. That's the way that we normally think about holiness. We think of, of holiness in terms of, of purity or in the, in the terms of the absence of, of defilement or the, the absence of sin. What is the sin that you most struggle with? Is it anger? Is it lust? Is it, is it greed? We think of holiness as the battle against that sin. When we, when we keep that sin at bay, when we keep that sin in check, we, we are living a holy life. But while holiness is not less than moral purity, it is more than that. The language of, of holiness suggests uh, being set apart. That's what the word actually means. The one who is holy is, is set apart. Think of the, the utensils that were used in the tabernacle. They were holy, not because they were morally pure, but because they were set apart for exclusively for the service of the Lord. And that is what we are called to. We are called to be temple utensils used exclusively in the service of the Lord. To be holy is to be devoted entirely and without exception, without reservation to the work of the Lord. So much so that, that Paul can say, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. That is holiness. Holiness is a life of complete devotion. We live at peace with our neighbor because we are devoted to our King. We live at peace with our family because we are devoted to the Lord. That devotion is 
holiness. Obviously, such a life must be free of of sin. You cannot be devoted to the Lord even as you indulge your, your sinful passions. But it is so much more than simply setting aside a certain behavior or a certain pattern of thought. To be holy is to say that all that I am is at his service. It's to do as Paul does in the beginning of his letter to the Romans and to regard yourself as a slave of Christ, entirely at his disposal. It is to renounce the right to to go your own way and to set your own agenda. It is to renounce the right to be the captain of your own ship and to humbly bow to him as your Lord and commander, as the one who sets the agenda For every minute of your day. This is the life of holiness. This is the race that has been set before you. That you would be holy, fully devoted to the Lord. And that you would live in right relationship with everyone. This is the race. And notice what he says about the the holiness. He says that, that we must strive after this holiness because without it... We will not see the Lord. That is troubling to to some. It's troubling, first of all, because we're not quite sure we're holy. And we we wonder whether we are holy enough. But on another level, it's it's troubling because we, we wonder if this is the gospel that we've been taught. Haven't we even sung this morning that that we are saved by grace apart from works of the law? Isn't that our only hope? That we're saved by by grace? How can he say that without holiness we will not see the Lord? Is the author suggesting that we must earn our our final salvation by, by attaining some level of holiness? Not at all. The author knows that we are saved by grace. He he knows that we are not saved by our own works, by our own righteousness. But at the same time, he recognizes that a person who does not devote his life to the Lord will not be saved. It's the same thing that he said back in chapter 10. The person, uh, the person who, who does not acknowledge God as God or live for him, but, but instead goes on sinning deliberately. The person who, who goes on sinning unrepentantly. The person who thinks that he can do what he wants because God will forgive. That's what he does. The author tells us plainly that person is not a Christian. And that person will not be finally Saved. It's the same thing that, that Paul himself says when he writes to the Corinthians, Do not deceive yourself. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is not suggesting that there is some level of righteousness that we must attain before we can, before we can inherit heaven. Not at all. He is the apostle of, of salvation by grace. He is the one who says, By grace you have been saved Apart from works, and this not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Paul knows the gospel, and yet he says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because he knows, as the author of Hebrews knows, that faith in Jesus Christ, to to believe in him, 
is to believe in him as the rightful Lord, as the king. And it is to bow to him and to, to, to humbly offer to him your, your entire life without qualification or without reservation. In the present, we will not live up to those resolutions. But our repentance cannot be qualified. It cannot be partial. We cannot say to God, I'll obey you when it's easier, I'll obey you when it's convenient, but I'll do my own thing when I want. Such repentance is not repentance at all. Such repentance is presumption. Such presumption reaps the wrath of God. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. He says, those who think such in such a way are storing up wrath for themselves on that day. If you would be a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you would receive in him an inheritance in the coming kingdom of God, then you must repent fully. You must turn from your sins to him with the full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. You must be holy, devoted to the Lord, without reservation and without exception. This is a word that I think the evangelical church today desperately needs to hear. There are far too many in the church today who believe that they are Christians and who, who believe that, that one day they will receive salvation because they have prayer to prayer or they have walked an aisle or they have affirmed a certain theological truth. And now they believe that, that they are saved regardless of what they do. The author brushes aside such foolishness. He says, without holiness, without a devotion to the Lord, no one will see him. No one will inherit his kingdom. We do not have to be perfect. We do not have to earn our salvation. But we do have to repent and believe the gospel. We have to turn from our sins and bow to him as Lord. And we have to devote ourselves to following him without reservation and without qualification. This is what it means to be a Christian. And this is why the, the author calls upon the Hebrews and, and calls upon us to press on in the race. Because the race is simply what faith looks like over time. The race is simply the footsteps of faith. So how are you doing this morning? How are you doing in, in the race? If you are beginning to, to lag, if you are beginning to, to drift off course, if you are looking for a place to, to stop, the author encourages you. Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight the path in front of you. Press on in the race. Follow Jesus. Because this is the way of life. And if you, in humble reliance upon his empowering grace, run the course that is set before you, it will take you into glory with your king. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. And all who believe upon him will one day join him in 
glory. This, this is why we must strive after peace. This is why we must strive after holiness. Because these are the pursuits of faith. The faith that leads us home. But not only must we strive after these things. Notice what the author says. We must help one another strive after these things. He says, see to it that that no one fails to obtain the the grace of God. that, That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. The grace of God that he he mentions here is not the the grace that saves, but it is actually the gift of salvation itself. What he he has in mind here is is the gift, not the motivation behind the gift. The the gift is salvation. He is saying, see to it that, that no one fails to obtain the promised salvation. See to it that your, your brother doesn't quit the race either. Not only must you press on, but you must encourage him to press on. This is what he means by, by not allowing any root of bitterness to, to grow up in your midst. I, I often hear these verses quoted as if the, the author was warning the Hebrews against the sin of bitterness. And of course, the, the sin of, of bitterness is seriousness. It's a serious sin, and, and we must not allow it to take root in our hearts. But it's not the sin of bitterness that the author is talking about here. Rather, the, the, the bitter root or the poisonous root, that, that phrase is taken directly out of Deuteronomy 29. In Deuteronomy 29, the author uh, Moses says, Beware! Lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away from the Lord to go and serve the gods of those nations, those those nations that God had driven out before them. He says, beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. The root of bitterness, the, the bitter root, is that person who has turned away from the Lord, that, that person who has, who has drifted, that person who has stopped following after Jesus, the person who has quit running the race. And Hebrews is saying, the author of Hebrews is saying that we must not allow one of our brothers to, to drift away, to become a, a bitter root that, that leads other people astray, whether actively uh, proselytizing for unbelief or whether simply discouraging others by their own unbelief. One way or the other, the person who, who leaves the faith and, and begins to drift from the Christian life, the, the person who becomes comfortable with their own sin and, and begins going their own way, failing to strive after peace and holiness, that person becomes a bitter root. That person begins to lead others into defilement. And the the author says that we must not only protect our own hearts, but we must protect our brothers by going after those who have begun to drift. In fact, that's exactly what the author is doing in this letter. This letter is an example of of going after the the bitter root and seeking to to pull it out of the soil of the church. He is is going after the Hebrews who he knows have have become weary, who who he knows are, are thinking about quitting. And he is calling on them to to remember the good news of the gospel, to not be moved from the hope of of the gospel that they believe. He is exhorting them to, to, to take up the race again. 
And not only is he going after those who are drifting, but he is calling every one of the Hebrews to take up the same cause, to be an encourager to the brothers. You see, when you are strong, you can be an encouragement to the one who is flagging. And there will come a day when the roles are reversed, when you are exhausted and they are an encouragement to you. But this is why we must live in community. This is why we have gone to such great lengths to to keep connected, even in this time of isolation. We do not thrive in isolation. But together, as we speak the truth with love into one another's lives, as we encourage one another, as we build one another up, As we do these things, we are enabled more and more to strive after peace and that holiness without which we will not see the Lord. So again, I ask you this morning, look not only at your your own heart, look not only at your own pursuit of, of peace and holiness, but ask yourself, how are my brothers and sisters doing? And how can I come alongside them to be an encouragement? There's a race that has been marked out for us. And we must run it with endurance. We must strive after peace and holiness. And we must do it together. Because it is together as the body of Christ. It is together as a a family that, that encourages one another. That we will obtain the grace of God. You see, God has put us into community. And he's bound us together by the Spirit. That together we might be the instrument of his grace in one another's lives. And because he has put us into such a community, because he has bound us together in this way, and because he is now at work in and through the members of this body, we can know that he will bring us all the way home. We can know that we will have the strength to endure. Because it's not our strength. It's the strength that he so graciously supplies. And because we have this confidence, because we know that together we will finish the race, that is one of the reasons we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the way that your grace is poured into our lives through our brothers and sisters. And we pray now, Father, that even maybe especially in this time of isolation, that we would be a people of mutual encouragement, that we would be people who go after one another, that encourage one another, that build one another up, that there not be among us a root of bitterness, but rather may there be in abundance the fruit of the Spirit. Father, this is our prayer. And we make it boldly in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. In his name and for his name's sake we pray. Amen.